This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. It was an unexpected bombshell in the federal election campaign. Images of Justin Trudeau from 2001 and earlier in brown face and black face as part of various costumes. The day after Time magazine posted one of the images, followed by the first of the liberal leaders' apologies, Libby Snymer gathered a panel to discuss the scandal on Thursday. Weighing in, NDP strategist Kim Wright, People's Party of Canada leader Maxime Bernier, conservative strategist Jason Leader, Zoomer magazine editor Suzanne Boyd, and liberal strategists Patrick Gossage and Ali Salam. I was certainly stunned by it. Um, I think it's you know, it was a racist act. It was hurtful. Um, it was entirely inappropriate. And he should have known better at the time. I, you know, I'm of South Asian background, and I've definitely felt that thing of racism. Um, and I definitely remember in my childhood in the late 80s, 90s, early 2000s, seeing these types of costumes uh, and these, you know, incidents of people, you know, using face paint and things like that. And at the same time, I don't think that has made me a saint by any measure either. Also, as I process this, thought about things that I may have said or done previously at a time when I was younger and not conscious of the impact of the types of things, uh, the types of impact these things have on people of color, um, even even though I am one. So, you know, I think it was important that he apologized directly. He owned the elements that, uh, that this was a racist act. I, I thought that was really important. I wanted to hear that. I wanted him to, to acknowledge that. Uh, and he did. I believe the apology to be sincere and... I think it's, you know, it's quite frankly going to be a, a tough road for him going forward with not just people of color, but all voters uh, to, to work to reassure people that this, you know, is not who he is. In my own experience, as you pointed out, I worked in, in Mr. Trudeau's government for three years, um, and I certainly did not encounter an individual who I thought was a racist um, in their beliefs or their values. And I was also conscious of the policies that he brought forward uh, as prime minister. And so I'm I, you know, those are all the things that go onto the scales when you think about this type of, uh, this type of issue. Patrick, there is no way that Justin Trudeau just remembered that he did this in his past. Yet he kind of waited to be outed thinking he'd get, I mean, Patrick, do you know what I'm getting at? Well, I do, but you know, I mean, I, you know, I can't, I can't vouch for, for Trudeau's detailed memory of what he did. You know, in, uh, you know, uh, in the 1990s, uh, I do think it puts him in a difficult situation. And, uh, I'm very sympathetic with, uh, with people of color who are, you know, deeply, deeply, uh, moved and insulted by this and, and are perhaps a lot of them are taking another look at Trudeau. And, but, you know, I think what we have to decide is, is Trudeau a racist? You know, and, you know, I don't think most Canadians think he's a racist because of what he did. A long time ago. I mean, that's the real question. And also, I think the, I agree. The apology was. I don't. I've never heard an apology like that. I've never heard a leader say he was pissed off with himself. This was a genuine, heartfelt apology. He feels awful about it, 
and I think that came across. It was genuine, and unlike a lot of his, uh, you know, rather scripted uh, performance on in this campaign, this was the genuine Trudeau coming out, and I think it was effective. And uh, we will we will see. I mean, we will see what we will see. I think it's damaging. There's no doubt about that. I'd like to bring in a couple of other perspectives on this. On the line, we have Jason Leader, who is a conservative strategist, president at Enterprise, and joining me in studio, Suzanne Boyd, who is the editor-in-chief of Zoomer magazine. Now, Suzanne, you are a woman of color. You have spent time with the prime minister. You've known him socially over the years. And last year, he was on the cover of the magazine. So uh, you spent time with him at that shoot and at an in-depth interview. What was your reaction when you saw this? Well, I was shocked and stunned, like I think all Canadians and people around the world. This is not the... um image um, figuratively and literally we have of Justin Trudeau, whether you agree with his politics or his policies or not, you do believe in his values and that his heart is in the right place. So to see these um, now three, um, first it was the brown face and the difference is, I guess, the culture that it's that the um, the mockery is referring to. So we first we saw the brown face, then we saw the black face, and now there's a black face video with an afro. So there's three, and it was just like the domino effect of it. So it, it's stunning. I think as a Canadian, um, this is our representative. This story made headlines around the world, and this is not how we perceive ourselves or society, even though there is a lot of institutionalized racism in the society. So I think it's a bit of a, just a wake-up call you know, in in several ways. I'd like to bring in Jason Leader. As I said, one of the things that's bothering me about this is that this whole issue exploded in the United States at the beginning of this year. So he had to have remembered then that he had this in his past. And instead of owning up to it, he, he waited to be caught. I mean, I guess he thought he'd get away with it, if that's the right way of putting it. Jason, what do you think of that? So, so weird. And I think it's, it's so interesting to, and, and sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to listen to people of color describe how this hurts. It hurts them so much, just the discussion you just had. And then, you know, I saw Mr. Singh last night, uh, I think, you know, really, really real and authentic way describe, you know, sort of don't, don't, don't give up on Canada. And, um, I really like the way you guys were talking about it in terms of, you know, this is, this is the worst. I think I've ever seen Canada look on the world stage and I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, partisan about it. I'm a conservative. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Justin Trudeau, but I don't know that I can ever remember a time that we were splashed across the leader of our country was splashed across the news, every single newspaper in the world in this kind of a photo. Um, and it's, it's not what Canada is and it's not what we want to be. And I think uh, just to get back to your question, I, I think I think it takes a, a special kind of guy, and, and I, I specials in quotation marks there to to have spent the last four years. And Mr. Trudeau's done a lot of good things, and I think I I don't I don't disagree with with you guys. By the way, that you know, in many ways, his heart is in the right place, and and I think he does try hard. And I think but it takes a special kind of guy to spend the last four years sort of telling everybody, all his political opponents, you know, there was this underlying sort of I'm better than you, I'm I know more than you, I'm more sensitive than you, I. I'm more diverse than you. I, I'm, I'm more right inclusive thing. than you. I'm less racist than yeah, you. Yeah, and, and you know, he's, he's called everybody that is a political opponent, certainly on the conservative side, a racist in one way or another. And 
it's it's just shocking that he knew that this might come up, and yet that was the tact he took. If if I were him, and I knew this stuff was out there, number one, I drank in front of it and apologized for it before I got found out. But secondly, I don't think that I would have been all in on calling everybody a racist for the last couple of years. I would like to welcome Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada. Your reaction to uh, Justin Trudeau in blackface and brownface? Yeah, like I tweeted this morning, you know, uh, for me, uh, you have to look back in that time, 19 years ago, and uh, I understand the prime minister when he did that. Uh, but for me, the most important, it's not the fact that it can be seen as racist or not. The most important is I think the prime minister is a little bit uh, hypocrite uh, because uh, he uh, he was not so shy to look at us and me as the leader and the people's party and to say things about us. So I just want to let him know that, uh, yes, that happened a couple of years ago. And I think he, uh, he behaved, behaved very, very well yesterday. But uh, we must uh, just uh, understand that uh, in his political career, uh, he was doing a lot of, and he's still doing, of identity politics. And we at the People's Party and myself, we don't do that. You know, we are working for all Canadians and we don't try to pander to everybody. And uh, and we're not hypocrites. So uh, uh, that's something that um, Prime Minister must learn, learn from that uh, from that event. As you know, he built his uh, political career on uh, virtue signaling and saying that, you know, he's a great uh, feminist and all that. But when you look a little bit behind, you can see that uh, that's not the case all the time. And now I'd like to welcome Kim Wright of Kim Wright Strategies. Kim, uh, Jagmeet Singh getting uh, a lot of praise for the way he reacted. Absolutely. And as he should, uh, you know, and for the listeners who haven't seen the clip of his, uh, his response, it has been, it was incredibly personal. As the first racialized leader of a political party, I think, you know, everyone was looking to see how he would react. And for him, it was jarring in and of itself, as it has been for a number of, a uh, number of people. But it was also uh, talking about how people of color have been uh, attacked over the years, how blackface and brownface, and let's call it what it is, the prime minister keeps wanting to say he was wearing makeup. No, he was wearing blackface and brownface. Yeah, face. I know. I, I was wondering, you know, using. it's like, I wear makeup. L- language <laughs> yeah. matters. This yeah. isn't a little foundation. He was yeah. full on in blackface, uh, which is... A, a horrible mockery that should have been done away with. And for the prime minister to have said uh, things like I've been fighting racism my whole life. Now we have not only one, but two, but three mm. now, mo- possibly more instances of him acting in this way. That's not a one-off. That's a trend uh, and a pattern. And he had an opportunity last night to stand up to Canadians and say, these are all the times I did this. I'm sorry, but he didn't. He, in fact, either doesn't remember because he's done it so many times or he lied to Canadians. And those things are all a whole bunch of problems for the prime minister and his staff today. Where does this go from here? What's next? Well, I think all ears will be on how the how Justin Trudeau and his team 
uh, deal with this matter? And can he actually be honest with Canadians about how many times he actually was in blackface? Can he actually call it blackface? Because language matters in this case. Also, I think that uh, that Canadians are really having a significant look at Jigmeet Singh and what he brings to the table, but also his, uh, his point of view uh, and the point of view he's bringing forward for people who have been bullied and turbans taken off heads and all of those things he's talked about people really do need to 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 listen to that i think it it was incredibly authentic and incredibly heartfelt uh and 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 hopefully that canadians can find healing ndp strategist kim wright people's party of canada leader maxime bernier conservative strategist jason leader zoomer magazine editor suzanne boyd and liberal strategist Patrick Gossage and Ali Salam. Later that same day, Trudeau issued another apology and referenced how the three images show him in blackface and brownface rather than just with makeup, as he'd said the night before. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Pedestrian safety continues to be a priority issue on Fight Back, especially in light of recent deaths on Toronto streets. As of Friday morning, there had been 27 pedestrian deaths in Toronto this year. Nine of them involved large trucks. Another woman is lucky to be alive after she was hit by a dump truck on Tuesday while getting off a streetcar on Bathurst Street near College. Some Toronto City Councillors are trying to reverse this trend. Mayor John Tory is convening a meeting with construction industry executives this coming Wednesday. Meantime, Councillor Mike Cole managed to have a motion for a construction traffic safety plan in the Young and Eglinton neighbourhoods successfully passed through the North York Community Council after a 54-year-old woman was struck and killed by a cement truck driver last week while crossing the street lawfully. In the meantime, changes including turn restrictions, planter box barriers, and narrower lanes are set to be built in the Leslieville intersection, where Toronto cyclist Doug Crosby was killed by a turning truck in May of last year. Libby was joined by City Councillors James Pasternak, Mike Cole, and Paula Fletcher to discuss. Intersections are really the worst places for crashes between pedestrians and uh, vehicles. And in this case, we've heard about these large trucks, big hulking trucks. It's terrifying. And also for cyclists. So I don't know how to... uh, the, The city has to look at intersection safety for all the vulnerable road users. Uh, Councillor Mike Cole, you you got your motion passed in North York Community Council. I'm assuming it has hurdles to pass, and this is kind of a process, a long process. Well, uh, thankfully, it's not going to be a long process because I think with the help of uh, the chair of uh, North York Community Council, Councillor Pasternak there, we got this through uh, as a walk-on at uh, North York Community Council. We got that uh, passed. And uh, we also got the mayor on board, uh, thanks to your advocacy. We're bringing everybody in, the uh, police, the uh, construction people. uh, We're bringing in uh, city transportation. And some of these things uh, are going to get moved pretty quickly. In fact, uh, we've already got... uh, a Toronto police uh, uh, traffic uh, blitz going on in Young Leggington right now and parking authority because, uh, like uh, Councillor Fletcher said, these corners, the turning, especially in trucks, they can't see uh, when you're up high in these trucks. And so um, we want to make sure people aren't illegally parked on the corners. 
That's uh, the blitz has already started, and uh, we got to get moving on this uh, yesterday. Uh, I'd like to pick up on this uh, no right turn on red, James Pasternak. I, I know this came up yesterday, so uh, explain that. Are you you're trying to get it on a piecemeal way? No right turns on particular intersections, or well, throughout? I was uh, I was in Montreal this uh, this past summer for a vacation, uh, and certainly there's a real paradigm shift when you're when you have to adjust yourself. To no right turns at all at any on any occasion in in Montreal. Here it's traditionally been right turns are allowed on a full stop, and you can make your turn once all pedestrians are are cleared the intersection and there are no oncoming vehicles. We're we're kind of rolling back on that where we're put, picking selected intersections to put restrictions on right hand turn lanes because it is one of the major causes of pedestrian injuries and fatalities. But I thank my colleagues for working on. On a very local uh, level to f- to fix problems where there's there's increased risk for the public. What's next following this motion? You know, it's ludicrous that we've got a city of three million people with some serious pedestrian safety issues and traffic issues, and every time we try to make a change, it's going to make our streets say we've got to wait. No matter which government it is, we've got to wait for. We've been waiting for two and a half years to get speed cameras in front of schools. The province demands that we go through every line with them, so therefore we don't have speed technology to get people. Councillor Pasternak, what would you like to leave us with? The broader issue here is the transit system that's probably um, 30 years behind the time and needs about $100 billion just to stay uh, above water. Uh, we need the construction of, of high-level transit to get pe- give people an alternative to get out of their car and, and, and take transit to their to their place of work or to home or, 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 or to wherever. Uh, that's that's a wider issue. Okay, and Councillor Fletcher, when are the uh, the changes in the intersection in Leslieville? When were the, when will those be done? I'm hoping that they'll be initiated very shortly, uh, as soon as the no right turn on red goes through city council and i'll just keep pushing to get these ones done and then if that works we can put these along the bike lane uh, all along the dundas street bike lane which is a great commuter bike lane but there have been a number of accidents particularly at intersections circling back to those are the pinch points where people get hurt and unfortunately sometimes they die and that's a very big tragedy that we've had with people being hit by big trucks. City Councilors Paula Fletcher, Mike Cole and James Pasternak. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Experts call it vaccine hesitancy. Toronto's Medical Officer of Health is recommending to the Government of Ontario not to allow exemptions of vaccinations for children based on parents' religious or philosophical objections. Currently, school children are required to get vaccinated in Ontario, but parents are able to appeal this policy based on medical, religious or philosophical reasons. There has been a small but steady increase in philosophical and religious exemptions for the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine over the past 12 years. Dr. Irene Gorfinkel weighed in during a conversation with Libby Snymer. I was very excited and very welcoming to Eileen Davila's, our public health persona, who has made some very interesting announcements on getting rid of the non-medical exemptions for vaccinations for kids. And this actually holds hands with the health of seniors in a huge way. 
So she came up with six main recommendations. First, she said, get rid of the exemptions that are non-medical, which makes a lot of sense. And secondly, she makes a call to social media, specifically Facebook, Google, Twitter, to put an end to the misinformation that's being promulgated. And I think that'll have a huge effect. There was this this case of uh, a big outdoor billboard with an anti-vaxxing message, and that was taken down. But it, it was taken down as a business decision as opposed to anyone had to. I, I didn't even realize that. And I think that's just horrible. Like, you know, so one of the things that Eileen Davila points out, Dr. Davila says we should update advertising standards to prohibit such misinformation from occurring. And I totally welcome that. Um, But she made a couple of other interesting decisions as well. Like this is not a decision, but rather this is to push to the Board of Health that these are considerations that they should, in fact, accept. And another one is that we should educate our children better on vaccinations, that that we need to, the, the district school boards need to adopt curriculums on vaccines and vaccine preventable diseases. The statistics is that vaccines have been the most useful health intervention ever. Ask your seventh grade grandchild if they know why they're getting vaccinated against hepatitis B. For that, for that reason, you may even ask yourself, why do I need hepatitis B vaccine? Why do I need to be vaccinated against the human papillomavirus? And the answer is, is because these are cancer-preventing vaccinations. And they're also largely taken by sexual transmitted infections, so skin-to-skin contact or contact with fluids. And the flu, where I hear all kinds of wacky things about the flu vaccine, and it's true that from year to year it's not necessarily as effective as it could be, but you know, there there was an influenza epidemic a hundred years ago. It killed a hundred million. People. Oh my gosh, we are we are just so complacent. And you know, it, I'll remind you that in Australia this year they're having a large outbreak, which is early because this is now their winter. They're coming out of their winter, and what we saw was a large number of hospitalizations and deaths directly relating to influenza. So we look to Australia to predict what is going to be coming to Ontario and to the rest of Canada. I think part of this whole thing is, and and what is really scary, some of these. Diseases have basically been wiped out and they're making a resurgence now and people don't remember how serious they are. They think, ah, there's nothing. In all of infectious diseases, when we're talking about what have we really conquered, the answer is polio and then even maybe because there's the odd case that is unfortunately still cropping up. And frankly, there's no excuses. If we would get our act together, in theory, we could we could do a lot to eliminate these diseases much more. Although vaccine hesitancy is a thing, and it definitely affects probably about 30% of people. Wow, I thought it was only 20. But the thing about that, that figure, whether it's 20 or 30, you know, we're splitting hairs. The thing, those individuals, the vast majority, we're talking well over 95% of them, want good information. And I think as doctors, that's our job to provide them with good information to ensure that, like any medication, the choice is not side effects or no side effects, but rather what if I do versus what if I don't, and trying to weigh those on the scales of justice. Dr. Irene Gorfinkel, 
I'm Jane Brown. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Ron in Guelph phoned with his opinion on the scandal that broke this past week, images of Justin Trudeau in black and brown face. Uh, One word, I think, describes this thing, and that's sanctimonious. If Trudeau hadn't have come out so many times and called Sheer a racist and called all these other people racist over the years, you know what? We might have been able to forgive this, but sanctimonious still comes to mind when I when I think of it. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Marissa in Etobicoke who feels forgiving Justin Trudeau and moving on is the best way to heal and go forward. All I want to say is that he's apologized. He is remorseful. I think his intentions were not malicious at all. He came forward and he apologized, and his apology was genuine. My motto in life is always go forward and never turn back. We all have regrets in our life. Yes, it was inappropriate. Yes, he's apologized, and I don't believe that he is a racist. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend for a roundup of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.